Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James. Super excited to be here with you all today. We have Lauren Adams, Lauren Conlin Adams, LCA. We're going to figure out what she likes to be called nowadays, but uh, I'm super excited. Lauren and I have known each other since I'm going to say 2008-ish, and when we met in the New York City improv scene, and uh, I'm excited to make her feel uncomfortable and tell her a story about that in just a minute, but uh, she is an out outrageous human being a badass woman uh and she you may recognize her she played gretchen on unbreakable kimmy schmidt casual she's also been on modern family and she's been on a whole bunch of other badass movies and shows and and she tours around and does improv around the country with a group called baby wants candy which is just an adorable name and as someone with the new baby i agree but either way my friends i'm super excited for you all to meet her uh, she is just a gem let's bring her out here right now the one the only lauren adams hi what's up friend Hi, friend. All those nicknames are great. I go by LA. I go by LCA. I go by Lauren. I go by Lar. My husband calls me Laron James. So perfect. perfect. You know, we got all those options. Laron <laughs> James. When the yeah. first time that he dropped that, did you hit him with the no? Absolutely not. <laughs> or and, and therefore it stuck. Or what happened? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it just came in. I think like the first time I kind of noticed it and then it just really, it, it's, it's entered the chat. It really has made its way in. Um, so that's incredible. That's the quickest way to earn a nickname is tell somebody you don't want to be called it. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's not going to work. Permanent. Right? <laughs> yep, yeah, no, it is. Sorry, boo boo. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Lauren, you and I met on uh, the casual streets of New York City uh, and the improv community. Now, as someone who lived in New York for a very long time, as I did, did you find yourself growing fond of a good old New York diner? Oh, I love them. I like every p- apartment I lived in, I had my diner that I would go to. <laughs> Yes. that I could walk to, you know? And yeah. like, I knew that this, I knew the special, like when I lived in a story, it was Sanford's. And if you went before 10, it was $5 for like two eggs, a meat, a toast and a beverage, $5 before 10. New York prices. That's crazy. Uh-huh. And you can't, I, I usually asked for mint tea, but you could only get Lipton tea with the $5 <laughs> special. And then um, when I lived on 43rd street, the Westway diner was right around the corner. And so, mm-hmm. you know, same thing before 11 o'clock, they had like a six ninety nine special. So, and that's then that, in Brooklyn, that's like Queens versus Manhattan pricing right there. Right there. You know, I'm getting premium in Midtown. <laughs> $2, and $2 up. Exactly. Same <laughs> and then in Brooklyn, it was Tom's diner, which I Legendary. don't think is the one it's, is it the one from the Suzanne Vega song? Is that the one? I don't know. It is a legendary diner. Yes. I don't know if it's the one from the song. People say it is. I cannot make, I, I don't want to make false statements on your diner podcast. Um, <laughs> but that pot, that diner is awesome because there would be a line 
back in the before when we yep. could gather, but they would bring you samples in line. So you'd wait in line and they'd bring around a tray and there would be like little sausages on a toothpick and you could take one or French fries and you could take one or Oreos or orange slices. And so you'd <laughs> wait in line and they'd like bring you little treats to make the wait nice. Or you could get a coffee too and have it online. So I loved, it was like, part of it was like, I hope there's a line so I can like have little samples. Yeah, for sure. Who doesn't like a sample? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's the, the reason the reason why Costco still exists. I, oh God. Let's be honest. But yeah, I Tom's Diner is, is this one of those iconic New York diners that's been around yeah. forever? Not to be confused with Tom's from Seinfeld, um, right? Which, yeah, which is on the, uh, which is up upper. on the Upper West Side. Um, but yeah, but it is, yeah, just an iconic spot. There. I went there with a mutual friend and, and uh, previous guest, Doug. Douglas Weidick. Um, and he, oh, he, and yeah, I, he and I love to go. We try to find the oldest spots that are still in existence, right? Like Bamonti's um, Italian yeah. spot that's been around since like 1904. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, we just, that's what we do. We find the old spots and we check them out. Tom's just, is good. Tom's is classic. You get an egg cream and also all their, they have like specialty butters that come with their pancakes. Yep. It's like a mango butter. Yeah. Go on. You don't, yes. expect, you don't expect a diner like that to be like, and we have a mango butter, but they have a delicious mango butter, cinnamon sugar butter, mm-hmm. and a pumpkin butter. And then they had the two by two by two, which is two eggs, two meats, two pancakes. Yeah. That's a perfect breakfast. Perfect. Call it a lumberjack in some places, I think. Yeah. Two by Uh, two. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I love it. I, I would say that diners are. Diners and delis are like at the top of my list of what I miss about New York City. Yeah. Probably the, the, the energy and then diners and delis right underneath them. I, I would agree, especially like the deli, the corner bodega, the corner store. It's like any time of day you can go get a bacon, egg and cheese. It doesn't matter if it's yeah. four in the afternoon, if it's 2 a.m., if it's, it's 9 a.m. And it's yeah. good and it's cheap. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it's for good sure. and it's cheap. And that's just like in LA, that doesn't, that culture doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. First of all, because LA is like a sleepy big city. Like I remember getting out of, I took pottery when I first moved here to try to like meet people. Sure. I guess, I don't know. I had a ton of friends, but I was like, you should do something to make the transition fun. And it feels different than New York. And pottery went from six to nine. And I was like, oh, I'll just eat dinner after. Cause like six is too early everything was closed every at nine o'clock. I was like struggling to get dinner. So I would just have to have something at home because I couldn't like pick up food or anything. Cause everything closed at, on Monday before nine. And I was like, all right, well, this is a sleepy big town. So they don't have the like uh, up all night need a uh, bacon, egg and cheese at any time of day kind of situation. Yeah. It's not a thing here. It's so weird. And in New York, you had that, 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 uh, my favorite, one of my favorite sentences of all time, which is I got a guy, right? I got a guy, oh, right? Yeah. And and you got your people. I feel like LA is not really like that. I mean, maybe the only time I've heard that in LA is I got my taco guy. I got, I got, I got my taco spot. Yeah. I got a spot where I get my tacos yeah. and that's it. Or a lot of, a lot of uh, friends of mine in LA, they're like, oh yeah, whenever we have a family party, we got a taco guy that comes over and they make the tacos People there. do have that in LA. It's incredible. You'll a party and they'll be like, we got the guy, the, the guy. And it's, is you're like, like, wait, someone's just making fresh tacos? That is kind of a special thing where you're like, they're just making unlimited tacos back there? Yes. Yeah, that yeah. Is. I've been to a couple parties like that where I'm like, what? They got a little plancha. They've got the like flat top grill and it's mm-hmm. delicious. It's outrageous. It's outrageous. Um, yeah, LA, you do your, you're your own guy in LA, kind of. Like yeah. in New York, you, 
you leave your house and you walk and you get a coffee and you have your coffee spot that you're likely going to every day, whether mm -hmm. it's a cart or it's, you know, um, the fancy, you know, pour over spot <laughs> in LA, we make coffee at home just cause it, there's no walk happening. Yeah. Yeah. And the drive would be brutal just to get a cup of coffee. It would take forever because yeah. you would drive and then you'd have to park and then you have to nope. wait and nothing's fast here. Like everyone's waiting in line. I remember moving here and being like, are you kidding me? I had to tell myself like, you don't have anywhere to go. Like yeah. you're not late for something like relax yeah. because you wait in line and I'm planning while I'm waiting in line, I'm going, okay, here's what I'm going to order. So I get up and I go like, can I get a, a oat milk latte and a everything bagel croissant? And the people are waiting in line and then they get up there and they go like, Oh, what do I want? And I was like, we just waited in line for 20 minutes. What do you, mean, what do you want? What, what have you, you been want? doing? Yes. And so I would have to really talk to myself and be like, Lauren, you got to chill. You need to like drink some of this LA, like cool vibes, Kool-Aid, because you don't have anywhere to go. You're not going to miss your, your Q train. There yeah. is no Q train. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing about from, from, since I met you, uh, you're a badass East Coast girl on a mission, right? And like, I mean, you're from Maryland, born mm -hmm. and raised. Where in Maryland are you from? Well, I'm born in Washington, D.C. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. <clears throat> Get it right. Where do your research? Your research is, um, uh, it's, you know, they're basically the same. D.C.'s land for Maryland and Virginia. Um, so I was born in D.C. and then raised in Montgomery County, which is like just kind of a D.C. suburb. It's a nice yeah. place to be from. Um Specifically, I'm um, a town um, called Potomac, which is Potomac, okay, has a yeah. Real Housewives franchise now, which is really weird, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> which is so strange. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just a really nice place. It's a nice little DC suburb. Yeah, Real I love it. Normal. So yeah, so I mean, growing up East Coast, and uh, so yeah, I mean there there is a pace difference. Mm -hmm. Right, I currently I currently live in in Minnesota. It's where my uh, my partner's family's from, and so we moved out here to be around her family and start one of our own. And uh, and, and the pace difference out here in, in the Midwest, Minnesota nice is a thing, um, and, and people love to apologize out here for things they don't need to apologize it's for. So and I sp I feel like we spend most of the conversation talking about why an apology didn't need to happen. And I just, and I need to just get over that. Yes. I, I just, and then you're <laughs> apologizing for apologizing. Yeah. Like you don't need to apologize for that. Oh, I'm sorry. And it's like, no, stop. stop. Yeah, it's vicious. It is vicious. Uh, and, and so, and I'm, and I'm an unapologetic New Yorker. Hey, doing watch your mouth. And so yeah. I'm coming in here, you know, shooting straight facts and a lot of people aren't ready for it. I sent, I sent an item back the other day. I ordered a, uh, a grilled cheese at this restaurant and I was with my boy who's a, uh, grew up in like rural Wisconsin out here and uh and and the grilled cheese was burnt I was very it was, oh, I didn't order yeah. well done grill grilled cheese I and, was like how did a grilled cheese get screwed up but that's no. literally the only way was it? they burnt it was it either either they didn't cook it at all or it was burnt there's the only two yeah, ways was, you mess up a grilled cheese yeah and yeah. so and so I sent it back and he's like what are you doing dude I said this is trash I said, this, yeah, is, this is what they messed up a grilled cheese. How are they doing? They're burning the bread. Um, yeah. And he's like, man, he's like, I don't know. He's like, I'm, he's like, I'm uncomfortable right now. He's like, my blood pressure's rising a little bit. He's like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, don't apologize to the waiter when he comes back. <laughs> and, yeah, and because so, as of having been a server for a really long time, yeah, I wouldn't bring a burned thing to a table 
I would like look at the kitchen and be like, there's no way I'm taking this. There's no way. There's no way. Unless you, <laughs> James, had said, I want my burnt grilled cheese burned, which yes. listen, I've had people order weird shit. I, I'm not taking that to the table. No. no. Or if I try to sneak it in because we're busy and I just don't know what else to do, or I don't see it and it gets to the table without me, like if it just gets run to the table. I'm apologizing and going like, yeah, of course you don't want this burnt ass grilled cheese. Let me take it back to the kitchen. <laughs> of course you don't want that. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Did the waiter seem like, yeah, of course you want a new one. Um, he was also a little bit shocked that like you can tell that this is not something that happens, that happens. often. And, uh, and so at yeah. some point I actually did, I was like, I was like, I'm, I was like, I'm, I'm really sorry. I was like, it's just, I was like, the whole thing is just literally crumbling. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, we got her. We got her. Let me say this as a PSA to you and everyone else, as someone Mm. who is a waitress for nearly a decade in New York City, I would much rather you let me make it right while you're in the restaurant than you eat or don't eat a burnt grilled cheese and go write a bad Yelp review. So, like, give me Mm. the opportunity to make it right in the restaurant and say, hey, this is a little too burned for me. Could could I have a you know, could you fire it again or whatever? And you're not going to say fire it again because that's the lingo. But could, it, could you make me a new one? Because I would rather make it right and be like, absolutely, I'm so sorry. Let me get you a new one and have you, A, tip me nice and B, go write me a nice little Yelp review and say like, Lauren was great. She fixed my burn grilled cheese. Yeah, that's perfect. That's it. Alas, confrontation, not people's love language frequently. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad we had the PSA. That was important that we got to that. You need it. Uh, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for that. I was, you know, I was wondering when it was going to come up, but I'm glad we hit it early. So now we don't have to worry about it. We can move Get on. Get Lauren off her restaurant yeah. soapbox. <laughs> uh, so I love it because yes, you worked in, in restaurants in New York for a while before that. So you went, you went Maryland to Elon, uh, yeah. Elon university, a, a university in Alamance County uh, in, uh, in North Carolina. Fun fact. Um, my dad has four hole in ones, which is kind of ridiculous, but pretty impressive. Um, and he has four hole in ones. One of those was at the Alamance country club in North Carolina. He had a client wow. down there and he got a hole in one. So that's how, that's the first time I had heard about Alamance. Um, but, I mean, not many yeah. people have. So the that's fact it. that you have a personal connection, come on now. Come on, that's crazy. Um, but there was a battlefield there. I mean, it's a pretty, it's, it's a, it's a yeah. significant place in, in the history yeah. of the country. Um, but still, uh, Elon, stunning campus, stunning students. Uh, they paint their grass, they clip their ducks' wings so they can't fly away, and they're more picturesque. Uh, but it is a uh, is a special place. Did you did you enjoy your time down south? I, loved, I did. I loved Elon. You know, I um I was a music theater major there, and. I loved the school. I only applied to Elon. I didn't apply anywhere wow. else. Um, you know, uh, it it was, I had a really great time. I was like, I feel like I maybe went to a different school than a lot of people because I was a theater major. Like sure, yeah. I was with a bunch of weird people and that's where I prefer <laughs> to be is with a bunch of weird people. Um, and I don't think I actually knew that I preferred weird people until I went to Elon. Cause I, you know, like I joined a sorority when I got there and Cause it felt like all girls school. I went to all girls Catholic high school and middle mm-hmm. school and like a sorority kind of felt like all girls school. And then I was like a little less into Greek life than I thought. Cause you also, you're a Greek person. Sure, yeah. I was a little less into Greek life than I thought. And a little more into like weird theater stuff than, <laughs> than I expected to be. So I feel like I maybe had a different experience than, um, 
yeah. than a lot of people do at Elon. And that's just Southern, Southern Southern the liberal arts track. Yeah, yeah Southern, sure. Greek Southern Greek life is, is a whole nother level. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Get your Especially, pearls out. I mean, yes. Are you kidding? Yes. <laughs> For real. Uh, I love it. But yeah, it is it is totally a different experience. But yeah, I think uh, certainly being in the theater department there, you were unlike a lot of your peers. Uh, and I guess my, my first question for you, since I haven't asked one yet, um, is when did theater come into your life? Like, when did you know? Was it, you know, did you start doing the plays in, in elementary school at a local at a local theater? Or like when when did you fall in love with with think, with with singing theater and stuff like that? Yeah, pretty young. I mean, like I did like dance and stuff when I was a little, little, like five and six. And mm -hmm. I loved that. We have like a video of like my first dance recital. And I'm like, there's rules to the routine. And we're like doing a routine. And one little girl like goes the wrong way. And I like turn her and kind of <laughs> shove her off in the right direction. I'm like, you're going the wrong way. Um, uh, which feels sort of spot on for me. Um, I, yeah, I, I kind of knew I wanted to do this like at seven. I remember going to theater camp and just loving it. And then I used to look up uh, auditions in the Washington Post, like art section. These auditions used to come out on Thursdays and Sundays in the art section. And my mom was never a stage mom. She is like works in human resources and is like a boss business lady. And she was like, listen, and now she's a grief counselor. You know, she's not, she's not in our industry at all. She's right. not, was not pushing stage mom life or not pushing actor life for me. But she was like, if you want to do this, if this is something you want to do, you have to do it. And I'll drive you wherever you want. I'll take you to the voice lessons. I'll take you to the dance classes. I'll take you to the play rehearsals. But if you want to do this, you have to do it. So you have to sign up for the auditions. So like my little seven-year-old self would call and like make an audition appointment for myself and like what? memorize a monologue. And like I, I, which I think helped me later in life so that I really had to do it. It had to be something I wanted to do. It had to be very self-motivated. So. Yeah, that's beautiful. At the time, were you appreciative of your mom? Like, oh, I get it. That makes a lot of sense. Or were you like, come on, mom? I don't think either. I think okay. I was just like, okay, I'll, I, I don't think I is. understood. It was like a life lesson. I think it was just like, okay, I got to do this. Uh, yeah. So I just got, had to do it. So I think it was like, if I want to do it, I do it. And like, yeah, she did. She upheld her end of the bargain. She drove me to all this stuff and she paid for the dance classes and the voice lessons. And so now I'm super appreciative. I don't think I had the like global view as a seven-year-old and i also don't think i was like god my mom's <laughs> such a jerk she won't call and make my appointments i just did it yeah that's amazing and is that something that is carried into today like that that kind of work ethic of like if i want it i'm gonna go for it i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna do it yeah i would say that it, it hasn't been that way in 2020 i felt very unmotivated in sure, 2020 sure, and yeah. into 2021 but um yeah i think so i think that like i i work hard and I'm I don't mind doing what it takes to like get stuff um you know uh, in 2020 you know you did a lot of self-tapes as an actor you had to like do it all yourself because you weren't going into casting offices and like sometimes my my agents would write and be or my managers would write and be like hey can you redo this and I think sometimes they're like oh is it okay if we ask you to redo this and I was like yeah I don't have an ego about it <laughs> I want to do the best job and I want to book the job. So like, yeah. I don't have an ego about it. It stinks and it's like a slog, but I'm never like upset or mad. I, I, I want to do, I'd rather have the feedback and do a good job than 
just like the grilled cheese. I'd rather say, you yeah, let the through me, line is right there. The PSA, I'd rather you let me get it right while I have you than like send something bad to casting or go off and say like that wasn't a good tape. Like let me let me get it right. Sometimes I'm human, sometimes I miss the mark. I don't have a director. I'm like operating on my own. I'd rather have a casting director like giving me tweaks. So I'm always happy to like get the feedback and and make it right. Yeah. You're, and you're great at taking the note, right? Like, let me, let me take the note and let me, let me put it in. And literally yeah. my only job. That's a theater thing. I think, I think, I don't know that for sure, but having come up in theater, when you get notes in theater, you say, thank you. Yes. So it's like, I learned that early on where it'd be like, Hey, Lauren, we need you to pick up the pace on this line or you're dropping this. And I go, thank you. That's how you tell a director you heard their note. You thank them for the note. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that put instilled an appreciation in me, but you say thank you to notes. Yeah. That is fast. I hadn't thought about that. Like in all the theater that I did growing up, that is exactly how you, how you approach that. It is. Thank you. And let's, let's keep it moving. Um, yeah. And I will, I will take the note and here we go. You are, you are the director. This is your vision. Here we go. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's a fast, I had, I had not thought about that, but yeah, I love that. Yeah. That's super fun. So, okay. So, so we, we started dancing, you know, four five, six years old. We love that. We're getting into theater. We're, we're signing up for our own auditions at seven, calling in um, with the squeaky voice, making it happen. And, and uh, uh, I love it. So, so it, did it become the dream that early? And was the dream, uh, was the dream acting in any way or was the dream like, uh, a specific like like a role on Broadway. What was it for you? Like was was the screen in your purview at that point, or was it just theater? Theater. At seven, I think it was just theater. Like I don't think I knew that how to do the other job. I don't think I knew how to be like a TV and yeah. and film person. I, I do remember loving my sitcoms and being like, sitcoms are so fun because it's kind of like a long play. Like you get to really work on that character for a long time. I remember thinking that as a kid and being like, if you booked Phoebe Buffay on Friends, like you get to do a play as Phoebe forever and like do all this cool character work and like make choices for her and really like live in her point of view. And I remember thinking that was really fun. Um, it really wasn't until I got to UCB and I like, remember my 101 teachers were Lennon Parham and Bobby Moynihan. And it wasn't until casual like, start. <laughs> they were my, they taught my intensive, the two of them. And they both, I was like, I remember like, then Bobby was coaching our like indie group day stallion shout out to day stallion, my indie, first indie improv group. And he was like auditioning for SNL at the time. And Lennon booked like a sitcom. And I remember going like, oh, I saw this really clear trajectory that like if I did this and I worked really hard in this system, I could potentially book a TV job. Mm. And I could at very, the very least book a ton of commercials because I'd watch TV and be like, that person's a teacher at UCB, that person's a teacher, <laughs> that person's on a house team, that person's on Herald Night. I saw that person in a show last week and I saw that person. Like, that's just how it, especially in like 2007 when I started, I feel like everybody was on everything. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. So you started in 2000. So we started at UCB the same year, uh, yeah, which, is, we, which is awesome. We, we took like uh, a musical 101 together. Mm -hmm. That yep. was our, that was our, I think we, that's where we met, met in yeah. that class. I, I agree. I agree. And here's, 
Here's what I remember, uh, and and this this may be slightly uncomfortable, so stick with me. Um, but I met I met you know like you said, there's a lot of really cool people around at UCB, and it's really exciting. And I'm like, oh shoot, like you said, this person's there. Or I saw this person on a whatever commercial, and uh, like exactly what you just said. And uh, but you know when you're with your your peers. When you're with your peers and, and fellow students, you're kind of looking around like, oh, who's booking the next commercial, right? Like who's like where, like yeah. who's gonna who's gonna be what, who's gonna make yeah. it, um, and and do what. And uh, I remember being so intimidated by you. <laughs> you had an immense amount of talent, and Thank and here's and here's where it came from, uh, or for me at least, or what, what I witnessed, and, and I was like, I was like, oh shoot, and watching and watching Lauren Adams do her craft, I was like, I need to level up because oh, there's so nice. because there's this edge, there was this edge to you, and it was it was the trained actor in you, right? And and like whenever you, I mean, you dove the hell into a character, it was incredible to watch. I mean, a lot a lot of people break all the time, and but like your ability to sink in and. And then you just have this stunning voice. And, and it was, I remember being like, okay, that is someone that I need to hang out with that I need to like stay close to because they're going somewhere. Like just the poise that you had, even at that point in 2007, 2008, right. Baby wants candy auditions, uh, which is a nationally touring musical improv team um, and, uh, and whatnot. Uh, It was, uh, it was incredible to witness and, there was this moment where I truly was like, Lauren is going somewhere. And if she doesn't, the system's rigged. <laughs> the system is rigged the, for okay, sure. Good, like, good, good. you know, sometimes the most talented people I'm like, sometimes the most talented people are just still like in a basement in New York doing comedy. And it, that's just, it's the system sucks. Cause it's not always, you know, it's not a meritocracy and it's not always merit based. It is sometimes, but not always. And thank you for saying that. You know, it's interesting. I think I got away with maybe being an actor for a while at UCB. And and then I hit a level where I don't, I was like, oh, I'm, maybe I'm not funny. Maybe I'm just like (laughs) committed. Right. And I remember getting a note from uh, Chris Gethard that was like, you're doing everything right. It's just maybe too right and i don't know what you think is funny you're like doing a good job but maybe you aren't doing a funny job because maybe you just need to like relax and maybe you do need to break on stage a little bit maybe you do need to like make a dumb move that isn't the right move to just like i don't know shake yourself up and so it's interesting because i do think i got away with a lot of like just being a good actor for a long time and i could like if somebody was like labeled me as a little kid, I would take the note and play the best little kid I could. Or if, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that did get comedic results because like, if I can really play the best little kid and I'm playing it truthfully, you will get a comedic result, but sometimes it's just a scene and then, then it's not funny. And then, you know, we're not like building on a comedic idea. So I think that like that being an actor, got me so far and then I had to like really dig into like a scary thing which was like not hiding behind a little kid or a mom but like what I Lauren Adams thought was funny or silly or cool to play with yeah which is a little scary because it's revealing and then if nobody laughs at that then you're not funny Mm mm-hmm 
Yeah, right. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then the world's a dark place. And then you're not that's, funny. So that's what happens. Why, why yeah. have you spent money on improv classes? So. Yeah, right. Exactly. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Mom, any HR positions open on you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm an HR nightmare. <laughs> you know, I had, uh, I got a note almost on the exact opposite side of the spectrum where I'm a character player, right? Like I love to play big characters, yeah. funny voices. Um, and, and just, I don't know. I just play big. That's, that's my, that's my insecurity. When I go in, when I'm insecure, I go big. Right. Yeah. And, and so it's funny, like extroverts and introverts, we often confuse extroverts with confident, but that's not, yeah. always, that's, they are not synonyms. The loudest no. person in the room is not is frequently not the most confident. Exactly. And so, um, and so I would play these big, buffoon type characters. And I was told uh, by Will Hines uh, and a couple others, Eric Tenoy and some others that it's like, James, you are playing caricatures, not characters. Yeah. There's not enough you in them. Um, and, uh, and so it was, it was fascinating. I also got a note from Gethard um, that was like, it don't feel like you're vulnerable on stage, mm. right? Where it's not, I'm not, I don't know anything about you. And through through any of these places, um, and so and naturally, I fired them all as teachers and said, "Well, I'll show yeah, you." you. Um, no, I but, want uh, yes, men. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I remember those notes. Those notes really hit me, and yeah. it's it's ironic because now you fast forward in life, and I'm a professional speaker that talks about vulnerability and authenticity for a living, right? And in those moments, I can I totally got their note, and yeah. it, it made sense to me but I couldn't get out of my own way in the moment. I was like, I get it, but I don't know how to do it yet. And um, it is a little yeah. bit fear-based, don't you think? Because it's like you, James, I remember you once in one class I took with you, maybe it was a Gethard class. Did we take a Gethard little four-week thing together? Because mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like it was musical improv because it feels too exposed. But I think I remember you talking about in a class about like what fashion for you was a little bit hiding. Yes. Like getting dressed up was a little bit hiding for, it was like a little bit of like a costume and a persona for confidence. Yes. And I remember you talking about that in a class and it, that feels a little too heavy for a musical improv class, but maybe it was. No, it um, was Gethard. Yeah. I remember that. It was yeah, that, that Gethard class. four week thing that we did, which was yeah. like very exposed. And that's where I got those notes about like, you're cleaning up messes. Great. And you're getting things on track. Great. And you'll always jump out and you're doing everything technically correct. But like, we need you to maybe mess it up a little bit and like maybe let other people clean up the mess, which is so my life. I'm a fixer. I'm a cleaner. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a push the little girl in the right direction around the little dance circle. Cause the yeah. dance is getting messed up, but like, you know, life isn't that I don't it's stressful for me to clean up everyone's mess and it's more fun for me to play <laughs> so yeah. you know but yeah that must have been that gathered class that was another class we took together but yeah, yeah I remember you are you saying that you like get life's it's weird and I feel like I'm preaching the cult of improv again um uh but it it, it did give me like some sort of life life therapy moments a little bit 100 percent well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you and I uh, are the 
<laughs> easily uh, the quickest to be like, no, you need to, everybody needs to take an improv class. I don't care what your profession yeah. is. You don't need to be a professional improviser, um, but like everybody needs to take one class because uh, getting pushed into that state of uncomfortability and realizing that you're going to be fine is so beautiful. Um, and you're better conversationalist after it. You're better yes. at listening. Um, yes. You're better at, at hitting your points. And, and you're also just more forgiving, right? You realize yeah. that like, this isn't the end, right? Mistakes is, are just yeah. parts of the journey rather than, yeah, it's not the end all be all. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's such a, it's such a beautiful tool. And uh, so, yeah, that's awesome. I'm wondering for you, that's such a powerful thing to recognize about yourself, that you are the fixer, that you are the, I'm going to help the little girl around the circle and, and whatnot. And that you also said in that, in that phrase, you said that like, but that's a weight that I carry. Yeah. And that's something that I, you put pressure on yourself to do that. Have yeah. you relieved yourself of some of the things that you're carrying? Is that, have you gotten, have you noticed yourself? Can you catch yourself when you're doing it a little bit quicker or is it still something yes. that you struggle with? All of the, all of it, all right. of that. Right. Next question. I, you know, <laughs> I am uh, all of that next. Um, no, you know, I, I am, I am, uh, uh, I'm in therapy forever. That's Same here. my, Same here. you know, thank goodness for my therapist. <laughs> I love her so much. Um, and it is something that I've worked on. You know, I, I lost my dad when I was 18 and I think I really stepped into a parent role for my younger siblings, mm. um, in a weird way because, you know, my mom was dealing with a lot of grief and now she's a grief counselor. Like she's really like come into this new space for herself, but you know, it's hard to lose the love of your life and also then have to raise three kids perfectly. And I think I was 18 and felt grown and I am bossy and I am like responsible and a fixer. And I come from a long line of fixers. Like I talked to a bunch of my aunts, they did like a little documentary about growing up in their household of eight kids. And I was like the person who asked questions and I heard every single one of them talk about my grandmother and say, Dorothy was incredible. She could fix any problem. Mm. And they all said that. And then I went, oh my God, you're all fixers. I'm a fixer. <laughs> my sister's a fixer. This niece is a fix. Like all the women in our family, we just get this like trauma of being in responsible for everyone, like kind of kicked down on you. And so I really have tried to step back and especially with my husband, like sometimes people are sad and they just need to be sad. And they don't need me to go like, okay, well, you know how we can get out of this, 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 and this. And then we don't have to feel sad and we can feel good. But like that ain't life. You have to feel rich. You have to feel sad stuff and happy stuff. And like, I know when I'm sad, sometimes I just want to be sad. Like you just need someone to go like, I'm so sorry you're sad. That sucks. Yeah. And I get sad too. And that's, and it's hard to be sad. I'm really sorry. You don't need somebody to go like, how can we get you out of this? How can we get you out of this fast? And, and I'm working on it. Like I work on it a lot with my sister, my little sister, who's my best friend. Like sometimes I would see her, like what I would say was like making a mistake in life. Like, mm -hmm. Oh, don't date that person. Or, Oh, don't take that job. Or, Oh, you're staying out too late. Or, Oh, you're drinking too much. And my therapist would be like, she's in her twenties. Didn't you drink too much in your twenties? And I was like, yeah, but I, she doesn't need to because I, I did it and it was bad. It made me feel yeah. bad. Right. Yeah. I don't want her to. And she's dating the wrong person. And my therapist was like, well, haven't you ever dated the wrong person? And are you okay now? And did it lead you to a better person? And I was like, oh yeah, I guess like we all have 
a dumb boyfriend we dated in college. It's okay that she has a dumb boyfriend she's dating or whatever it was. Yeah. You know, I'm making my sister look like a real idiot. She's way smarter and more, or more capable than I am. But just as an example, it was like, oh, yeah. Casey's got it. Like, I do think my sister is smart and capable. So mm -hmm. like when I overly fix, not only am I making myself stressed, but I'm also telegraphing to the people in my life that I don't think they got it. And I think you got it. Like my husband is like an incredible partner and an adult and a great human being. And like, he's out of town this week. And I'm like, Oh God, Seth takes care of so much stuff. <laughs> it's like, he doesn't need me to fix it. He's got it. And my sister is also so smart and capable and wonderful and warm. Like she's got it. Yeah. And in an improv scene, I should think my partners are all geniuses and I can say they got it. They don't need me to swoop in and say like, I have a better plan. Yeah. Cause people got it. Because people got it. What a lesson. It. Yeah. I, <laughs> I love that. I'm uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if you're somebody who likes to take uh, personality tests and whatnot. Have you, have you done the Enneagram? Um, my, so my husband and I said he was, he was living in Nashville, Nashville yeah. before he moved to LA and Enneagrams are huge in Nashville. He's taken it. I've got to, you know what? I want to text him while we're on and ask him what he thinks I am. What's okay. your Enneagram type? Uh, I'm a two. Um, okay. and, uh, which, yeah, which, which basically means that like, I like to, I'm a, I'm a caretaker. I love, I'm driven by relationships. Um, and so, you know, uh, I, I don't have boundaries because I just need everybody to like me. And so I just like, you know, I just keep helping, keep helping, keep helping, but then I get lost, right. I'm not good at, yeah. I'm not good at taking care of myself. And, uh, and so it's so interesting to hear what you just shared about we have different people in our lives for different reasons. And I think we have, we all have those friends that we know if we want a certain response, we can go to so-and-so. Right. And we, yeah. so we know we, we have that fixer friend, right. Or if you're ever, if you're ever going through a relationship that's ending, you know, that person that's going to, that person's like, no, screw that dude. He sucks. You deserve better. And then you have that, that other person's that's like, well, I'm really sorry that you're hurt. Right. You just have those different folks. I remember I had a roommate in college. His name was Jake and Jake was a good man. He was a quiet soul. And, uh, and Jake, I would come back from having a long day and some, maybe some frustrating things happen. I would sit on the couch and we'd, we'd play Madden on Xbox. And, uh, and I would just tell Jake about, my day and he wouldn't say a thing 30 Dang. 40 minutes and then by the wow. end of the conversation i would kind of make be done and he would just like pause the game and he would turn to me and be like james he's like james that's, that sounds like it sucks man and i was like thank you jake yes right like jake never had a solution couldn't fix yeah. a damn like couldn't could could barely find his socks in the morning like couldn't fix a damn thing but jake just poured out just a good amount of empathy of like that yes everybody needs a that sucks person <laughs> because we all go through stuff that sucks we yes. all feel sad we all feel angry and all of that's okay yeah. like what's not okay is like acting badly if you feel those things towards other people like hurting other people because you feel those things is bad but feeling them I say okay we all do we gotta get it out <laughs> so you had a jake who could just like take your shit and go mm -hmm. like i'm sorry that sucks and that's what you need someone to hold space for that that's all i needed yeah yeah but it's something my husband never named. oh go ahead yeah do you respond my husband he said he he said he's not totally sure but he said i'm a counter type seven or a social seven so they oh, said wow. we sometimes in. um it tends to mistype with Enneagram too, 
but they're generous, have a strong desire to be of service, to create a better world, will sacrifice their own needs to serve the needs of a group or a person they support. I feel like they're reading me. Um, <laughs> and they can be judgmental regarding selfishness in themselves or others, and they hope to be appreciated for their sacrifice. I mean, yeah, that's me. I, I, that's very much me. That scared me. That scared me a little bit. We're now at an awkward point at the moment. <laughs> that's so funny because I am, when I look at the uh, the. Uh, Enneagram types. I when I I test as a two, but seven is what resonates with me. Um, yeah, I, think, I mean, he yeah. said sometimes they get mistyped as a two. So yeah, for sure. So we. I mean, I I grew up Catholic too, so like that social justice, like creating a better world, guilt mm-hmm. is burns a strong fire in my soul. And I like if any if anything good happens to me, I'm like, okay, you better offset the scale. You better do something good for someone else. Yeah, like I really Dorothy feel day the, inside of you. <laughs> I mean, like Dorothy might be a ghost haunting me because I, I cannot escape her message. I do love, I love Dorothy day, but you know, it's like, I do. I love her. And I do love that. Like, I'm not, I don't consider myself religious. Um, but I do love that Catholic social justice. And I am really mm-hmm. proud that that part of Catholicism really sticks with me. Yeah. And, and I'm really, I really feel proud to help other people and to like encourage community. That makes me feel really good. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. And it's very evident. Uh, you know, it's evident in your, in your social media and your presence. And even, I mean, I asked you if you had a website and you said, I don't have a website, um, but can instead, instead of listing my website, uh, can you put the LA, the website to the LA food bank, right? LA my initials bank. are LA anyway. So, so I mean, the shoe literally fits, but uh, so the thing is, right. Like, I don't have a website, but just tell people to go donate here. So friends donate to the LA food bank. $1 right? helps. $1 helps. If you can donate $1 a month and they have a reoccurring monthly $1 donation or $5 every six months, reoccurring donations help organize organizations like the LA food bank so much because they can just plan and they know what money's coming down the pipe. A uh, uh, reoccurring donation of $5 a month for 10 months is better than a one-time $50 donation. There it is, friends. There it is. Get on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. But yeah, I mean, you are someone who has used your platform uh, and not been shy about it. And, and like truly, uh, you know, I mean, you're, you're a big social justice advocate, uh, big get out and vote advocate yeah. uh, and and uh, not shy about who your candidate of choice was and, and whatnot. And, and so this is interesting because you are someone who has achieved success. And we're, I do have a couple of questions about Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, but we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, but you have obviously you're on this iconic show. It was just so damn good. Um, and with a lot of other badass human beings um, and, and you, and you've been on modern family and you've been on this, this other play. Like you just, you've done really cool things. So you've achieved this level of success, but I know you're not done yet. And I know that you're still hungry. I believe yeah. you're still hungry. We'll talk about it. Um, but yeah. No matter what, on your way up in in whatever uh, level of celebrity status or whatever level of uh, of just being out there in front of more and more people, influencing more and more, um, there are some individuals who, when they're on the climb, play everything close to the vest. 
because they don't mm-hmm. want to upset anybody, right? Yeah. They're like, well, I don't want to ostracize any part of my audience. I don't want to potentially yeah. lose followers or, or seem too political for maybe a director that's trying to do this, but doesn't want my baggage with them. And so yeah. we see individuals play a lot of that stuff close to the best. We see it all the time. And yeah. uh, you have made a conscious choice to say, fuck that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you have very much worn it on the sleeve and by sleeve, I mean, social media and the way and how outspoken you are about the causes that you believe in. Tell me about that choice. And I mean, I think a great lead in with, with Dorothy day and some of the Catholic, uh, the social justice work in Catholicism, as you were just mentioning, but yeah, tell me a little bit about that choice. Cause it was a choice. Um, I, it's, interesting to me that the stuff and I think you you just said like making like political statements is sometimes seen as a bad thing in Hollywood and you see it like people say like I don't want to hear what I just want my movie stars to be my movie stars and I just want my people on my tv to be my people on my tv but we're people and to me the stuff that I push honestly isn't political like giving people a fair wage, giving people access to healthcare, giving people a good dignity of life, making sure that people have enough to eat, making sure that kids have good access to education and educational tools, regardless of how much money you make or what your background is, like where you come from, what race you are, what like what religion, what your gender is, what sexual orientation you have, like you are a human being, you get to have this basic quality of life you get mm-hmm. to like have that that to me feels insanely american in in like f- like the way we talk about like america being founded like life liberty and pursuit of happiness like that fe- if that's where we're coming from if that's the kernel and seed like that feels it's it feels funny to me that that is so political but it is it's so political to yeah. make these statements um and i get pushback from people that i know a lot of the time too you know who are like you know family or friends who have different ideologies than i do um i think my enneagram 7 or my catholic guilt or my ENFP, whatever it is in me. You're an ENFP, same here. Yeah. I, I bet you're secretly a type seven, James, even though you test as a two, I'm going to guess, because you and I are pretty similar. But I, um, I, man, I, I also like feel too much stuff. And like, I feel real, I feel a lot of guilt seeing people living in bad ways. So I, um, I can't not, I I think like putting something on Instagram is like literally the least thing I can do. It's like the least thing I can do to be actionable. Right. Mm -hmm. I'd rather be in the streets. Um, I'd rather be like, you know, when it's safe, like getting back to in-person working with people and stuff. And I wish that I was friggin' Jeff Bezos with billions. Cause I would give it all to the LA, the dang LA food bank. Um, we'd have caviar in the dang boxes for people. Like Let's I just, <laughs> I just like, I, I wish that there was more <laughs> ways I could dip my hands in, but like asking people to donate to the food bank feels like the least I can do. And posting about like unhoused residents getting kicked out of where they've built a community feels like the least I can do, especially for those people who aren't able to 
have a voice. So it, it feels like the absolute least, least, least I could do. And I, I appreciate social media so much for that aspect of it. I mean, it's killing us in a lot of other ways, but I do appreciate (laughs) the fact that, that (laughs) oh yeah, don't look at it behind that curtain, please. Um, (laughs) It's just, you know, Mark Zuckerberg back there. Um, But it, um, it, it does feel like uh, I get to see other people doing stuff like just the other day, just the other day, James, social media, a woman who is a writer, a TV writer posted that like, there's a health center in an underserved neighborhood in LA that um, is specifically supposed to be giving vaccines to that community. And they had a lot of open appointments because the people in that community either don't have access to the technology to get them or just didn't know about them, right? They're trying to sign up on the county or the state site and it doesn't connect to that health center. So a bunch of very privileged white people came and took those appointments, which is a bummer because that's supposed to specifically serve that community that's under vaccinated and needs the vaccines. So this writer was like, you know what? We're going to just go walk around masked up, hand out flyers that tell people how to sign up and give them a number they can call if they can't access the technology because it's in this community. So it's also walking distance. There's no driving to get there. They can walk to get there. It's very accessible, which is huge. And she was like, I don't want people taking vaccines. So she just said, I have flyers. If you can volunteer to go out these three days, I'm going to get the flyers printed for you and you'll hit the streets. We had, we signed up 40 people today. We can sign up more people. And so like, I love that now I'm on an email list. So the next time that that comes up, I can hit the streets and hand out flyers and say, this is how easy this is for you to go and get this thing that you need. And that's just community organizing. I also social media, I I had a UCB friend post about he's tutoring um, students in the LA school district on zoom. I I start my first tutoring session with my student today. And it's all because Curtis posted that he was tutoring. I thought I'm too dumb to tutor. I'm just an actress. I don't know common core math. And he was like, you can do it. You can do third grade math, Lauren, I promise you. And (laughs) I I am, I'm I'm tutoring my student today. It's like uh, social media helped me get all that. So I feel like if I've learned that much from my friends posting I'm hoping that two, three, maybe four people can learn the same from my posting and can just go like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that was happening. How can I help? Because it's when we all do it together, like if 10 people who listen to this donate to the LA Food Bank, that's 10 extra dollars. And $1 doesn't seem like a lot, but $10 makes a difference and like really makes an impact. And then if they gave $2 each, that's $20. You know, like when we're all together, it's, we make such a bigger impact. Yeah, the so that's why I think I post. Yeah, a lot. First off, shout out to that TED talk. Uh, and, <laughs> and it's so good. It was so good. It was so good. And and I'm here for it. And you know, let's also let's go back to the very important call out that the things that you were talking about are not political yet they're made political, right? And masks yeah. are somehow political, and vaccines are political, and Black Lives Matter is political, and uh, right, like and and then these things are not. It's humanity, right? Yeah, it's humanity, it's but we deal with our uh, we 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 like to mask the uncomfortable nature that some of those things cause us um, yeah. that that in ways that kind of look like racism. They kind of look like classism, um, right? When we, when we mask some of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it is. And we, and we, we, we file it under political because then we can talk about it in a way that isn't 
it's 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 a completely different thing to talk about humanity than it is to talk about politics. It's easy to yes. talk about politics, so let's yes. let's let's hide everything under there, and that'll be the way that we can backdoor um, or maybe front door at this point um, and get into there. And so yeah, because you aren't saying I'm hurting human beings. Correct. If we say like, oh, the left or the right or what or the libertarians or the QAnon people, like if you put them into boxes of left and right, you're not saying like human beings, like. Yeah. When you say Black Lives Matter, we're talking about people's <laughs> lives, human beings' lives. Mm -hmm. And so, like, unfortunately, now BLM is a group and it's no longer humans to a certain sect of people, which is a bummer because it's about human beings, right? Mm -hmm. It's about, like, treating human beings as human beings. 100%. That's it. That's yeah. all it is. So, like, that's why the All Lives Matter thing made me and my head explode because I was like, but black lives matter means all lives matter. Like that's what it, that's what it's saying. So let's make sure those lives matter. Uh, do we get it? And I, so like that, that just would like make my head explode. Cause I was like, you missed the point. You missed that's it. what black lives matter is saying. Yeah. And they don't seem to matter right now. So let's make sure all lives matter. Okay. And they won't until black lives matter. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Think you're missing the point. And, <laughs> and it's also like, you're just looking at the catchphrase and going like, well, my life matters. And it's like, yeah, yeah. To you. Yeah. Sure. This isn't like, about you, so, Barb. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, ma'am. Why didn't you have your order planned before you got to the coffee bar? Gosh, come on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. What you said is beautiful and it is, it is, it's, like I said, it is awesome to watch the way that you use your platform because it is, I, I said it before and I'll say it again, it is a choice and not enough people make the choice. And it Thank is you. awesome to see that you're doing it. And and I agree that yes, sometimes a, a, a post on social media is literally the least that we can do, but it is, it is something. And yeah. you also talked a lot about, you know, you're, you didn't hit this directly on the head, but there is an important step after hashtag activism, right? Yeah. And so hashtag activism, a perfectly fine start, but it's not actual, there's nothing active, that active about it. Yeah. Um, and so it's more like a very passive form of activism. And yes, it's a start. So thank you for posting a black square, but uh, you know, what wow. are we, what are we doing? Who's kind of, what, what uncomfortable conversation have you had or what, yeah. what, what have you read recently that made you think differently as opposed yeah. to going along with this trend? And so uh, I love that. Uh, I love that. And, and thank you. Uh, thank you for what you do and, and we'll continue too, to do for sure. So uh, that's awesome. We're going to switch gears really quick. Can we have a, can we do We have a little segment here on the show. Do you mind doing a quick segment with me? Lauren? I love a segment. Let's go. Hell yeah. We got a segment. It's called things that you didn't know about me that are before, but are now glad that you did. Lauren, here's what you need to know about the segment. Okay. The segment, the gist of it never changes. The title changes every time, but because <laughs> uh, that's what matters in marketing is inconsistency. And so, so we're going to do this segment. You and I are both going to share some random facts about ourselves and just, we'll just share a couple and uh, we'll, we'll ping pong it back and forth and we'll, we'll go from there. Are you in Lauren? I'm in. I'm ready. Excellent. Excellent. So here's, I'll share a pet peeve of mine. Uh, a pet peeve of mine is this, and that is, I can't stand 
when people eat their cupcakes like a sandwich. Now I get it. Okay, I understand you're supposed to rip the bottom of the cupcake off, put it off. It's a le- it's a little icing sandwich. You don't get messy fingers. But Lauren, the icing is the best part. Yes, correct. And so I rip the bottom of a cupcake off. I throw it off a dock and I shove the icing into my mouth. Okay, that's, that's what, what I, I want to do too. <laughs> the bottom is is only for transportation. It's not here. It's not for the um. Yeah, it just feels like you're disrespecting the work of the cupcake artist. To be perfectly honest, because they didn't, mm-hmm. they could have made you a cake sandwich and they did it they made you a cupcake so appreciate that they made you a cupcake exactly i'm very similar with this where i think icing is the best thing so whenever a chocolate layer cake i perform a little surgery and i cut all the cake 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 part out of the way first and i eat that first and i leave like the glorious icing walls to the end and i eat those last i I, I agree with you that a layer cake stresses me out because the icing to frosting ratio gets off and while i love icing i also want i want the appropriate amount of frosting to cake <laughs> ratio. So I sort of like scoop out cake and then take the icing from the back and I like make perfect bites as I eat, but I'm there not eating it. Um, normal, normal, whatever normal is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's like, what I got for you. There's a random, a random fact about me. What do you got for us? I got a pet peeve too. Are you ready? I hope so. Toilet paper roll. The tail has to always go over. And if I come to your house and it's under, unless you have a cat, because I know people with cats can't have it over because the cat will, I will flip your toilet paper. You're doing it. You're in there like a savage. I will will flip your toilet paper so that it's over the top. You know what I mean? Now, are you a silent assassin? Do you do that and not tell anybody? You're just like, and you're just like, I know one day I'll, I'll get a you're welcome from them. Um, I'm just, I think. Or you come out of the bathroom like, let me tell you what I just did. No, silent. (laughs) Always silent. And then I wonder if people go in and go like, did she flip my toilet paper? Because I will flip it. Unless you have a cat, because I understand people with cats, like the cat will just take it all off the roll that way. Um, But I will flip it. I'm flipping it in your bathroom (laughs) if it's the wrong way. There it is. There it is. Important to me. It is important. And, and I appreciate that. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. I'm going to share one that is potentially going to be offensive to you based on where you're from, okay. but I want you to stick with me. Okay. Um, I, uh, I can't just eat crab. Um, I can't just eat like, just like to eat a crab. I can't eat lobster. Um, I somehow developed some sort of a taste aversion. Um, and okay. so I can't just like, and so therefore I don't like crab and I don't like lobster, but I love shrimp. It's weird. I like, like their little brother, you know what I mean? Um, and, uh, and so I'm still like, I love old Bay crab cakes are okay, but okay. I, all right. I was going to ask, yeah. okay, but there's right. gotta be, but here's the frustrating part is that the best crab cakes in the world, according to crab cake aficionados are the ones with the most crab. I don't, yeah, I no can't killer. eat the ones with the most crab. And so I like the ones that are actually have a, a better, a more, more filler ratio. So wow, James, that's it. Wow. I know you're from Maryland. I needed, I needed to have this moment with it's you. It's okay. I appreciate, I really, I want to say, I really appreciate your honesty. Your head is in your hands I'm, right now. <laughs> I'm shocked and heartbroken. I can eat crab in like any iteration. I'm not even from a crabby place in Maryland. I'm not from the Eastern shore or, you know, ocean city mm-hmm. or anything. Um, but it was like a staple of my life. And we would go to Orioles games when I was a kid, uh, go O's. Um, I, we didn't have the nationals back then. So we had Camden Yards tickets and like, you know, you get crab cakes downtown and stuff like that. So in Baltimore, Baltimore, um, but, but I mean, listen, I kind of get it. I love those things. I could eat just, I'll pick crabs. Now, 
when you saying like just crab meat, like you don't very often have just loose crab unless you're doing like a crab pick. Is that what you're talking about? Like you don't want to like take a hammer and smash crab and eat it. Yeah. Like growing up in New York, uh, on Long Island, we would always, my friends and I would go crabbing and then and then you steam them, got your butter sauce and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm Jimmy chugging the butter sauce and, and uh, you know, not really no crab. <laughs> I mean, listen, it, it, picking open crustaceans is not everybody's cup of tea. I kind of get it. I kind of get it. And you know what? If you came to my house, I'd make sure to put extra saltines or breadcrumbs in your crab cake for you. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. And I always put extra old bay because I don't think the recipe I use called it's like a teaspoon. And I'm like a teaspoon. teaspoon. We got to get more in there. No, so that's some white people shit there. Um, <laughs> not enough seasoning. The uh, I love here's you mentioned that you are a big uh, a big O's fan. Uh, yeah. Fun fact that I'm wondering if we share it in common. Uh, I've sang the national anthem at Camden Yards. Oh, I'm jealous. Damn it! I thought we might have it in common. No, I, I've sung at I've sung at um. Uh, Wizards games and Hoyas okay. games, Georgetown games, but never at Camden Yards. Wow, I'm so <laughs> jealous. That's very cool. I've never really? been on the field. Oh, I love it. I um, I have. I, I got. I did um an episode of Drunk History that sadly it got canceled before it will air because it got canceled over the pandemic. Yeah. But Derek Waters, who is the the guy, um, he is also from Maryland and he very sweetly, he's such a nice dude. When I did the episode, he got me a signed Brady Anderson ball. Cause he knew I loved Brady. Wow, Anderson. So I have yeah. a little signed Brady Anderson ball who Brady Anderson, I, if I'm, he still works for the Orioles. He still works for like the franchise. I would assume he was a franchise player. He was a Yankee yeah. killer. And so that's why I didn't like Brady Anderson, I but I respected it. him, but didn't like such him. A crush. I had such a crush. We had a get milk poster where he was like, had his yeah. leg up on a stack of books with a milk mustache, him and Cal. Come on. <laughs> he was uh, a looker. He was a good, he was, yeah, he was a, a James, he was a, he was, he was a my first like crush crush where I was like, <laughs> uh, I love the way those, that butt looks in those. Or in those baseball pants. Baseball pants are legendary for that reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that is a fun fact. Brady Anderson, Lauren Adams' first crush. A great, that is, a great that, start. That could be my second. Can that be my second fact? Sure, yeah. That's it. That's a good. He is my first like real like kind of sexy crush where I was like, uh, ooh. Um, okay. I a, a fun fact about, should I go do a go third ahead. fact? Hit, hit, me one, okay. hit me with one, yeah. I love gross food picks. I love looking at like fifties food, gross jello molds. I love like when people post a, a pic of like, a, a, like they think they're a chef on Instagram and it's just yeah. a plate of Brown. Like, I think that's so funny. I love the show nailed it for the same reason. Like <laughs> I love a food fail. I love when people are like, I made this delicious thing and it looks like slop. I think it's so funny. And I don't know why it doesn't really gross me out. It does, but I love it. I'm like, ah, so if you want to treat, you just search the hashtag golden corral on Instagram because oh, the buffet has too many things. So people put together an insane <laughs> plate and hashtag it golden corral thinking it looks so good. And it's just like rice on pizza and you don't know how it happened. I love it so much. It's such a fun treat to be like, Oh, that person, <laughs> why did you make that golden corral plate? It's a real fun treat. And so it's a treat for you. Not, it's not like you don't envy the plate and you're like, yes, give no. me a plate. That's a whole bunch of shades of browns and yellows and whites. I'm not um, interested. It's just, yeah. Not interested. That's amazing. It's, I think it's really funny. That's a fun, that's a fun quirk. 
I really love it. Yeah. I mean, we got people who like their cat memes out here in these streets and their, uh, their puppies falling and they got their, I have a buddy who, who literally just likes to watch people fall. Like he watched like he, I remember I went and visited him in Chicago. Um, he and I did some college improv together and I visited him in Chicago and, and we went over to millennium park and we stood by the ice skating rink. And he's like, I just want to stand here and watch people. And he just giggled like a fool watching people. He's like, he's like, I don't like, yeah. he's like, when they actually fall, I feel bad for them. But like watching the hurt. process of someone almost yeah. fall, he's yeah. like, he's just dying laughing. So. Delightful. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, everybody's got their thing. Your thing is, is hot mess food plates. I love them. Uh, that's awesome. I'm here for that. <clears throat> I'm here for that. Uh, that's super fun. So. Lauren, let's jump back in. I, a couple of quick questions for you. Now, you were uh, Gretchen on Unbreakable, Kimmy Schmidt. As you mentioned, yeah. great show. Uh, you got to work with Tina Fey, which is just outrageous. You know, what does, I, I mean, uh, what does, I guess uh, you were, uh, well, what does 20-year-old, 18-year-old Lauren say to, I'm on TV with in Tina Fey's show say to that Lauren, like, I mean, like, is that, is that like crazy? Is that amazing? Or is it like, yeah, we finally got here. We always wanted this. 18 year old Lauren would probably be like, well, of course, but I think like <laughs> 26 year old Lauren would be like, Oh my God, you did it. You yeah. did it. Like, I, I think like 18, I had a little bit of hubris and then you get to college and it knocks you down a little bit. And then you move to New York City, it knocks you down a lot bit. And then <laughs> a, lot <of> bit. <laughs> um, a lot bit. Yeah. And then uh, I think like by my mid 20s, it was like, I hope I book a commercial ever in my life, yeah. you know? And then when you book something like that, you're like, oh, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Whoa. That's badass. Yeah. That's badass. Now you were working, as you mentioned, as a uh, as as a waitress um, or server, excuse me, and uh, a server. And you did the server life for a, a long yeah. time. You also had some other fun odd end jobs. You and I worked at a place called The Ride for a while, where I freestyle wrapped at a moving tour bus while you were actively giving the tour on a preposterous business model that's surprisingly successful. And uh, is it still going? <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know about in the pandemic, but it was the ride is definitely was definitely still going pre pandemic. Wow. I yeah. can't believe it. It was well, the people who ran it when I worked there with you were terrible. Bus they did a terrible job business wise. Sure. Yep. And then I think now it's being run a little less um, flashy. And so yeah. it's, you know, the overhead is lower and the hosts are getting paid way less and probably the performers too. <laughs> yeah. I left when like pay cut started and I was like, I don't mind doing this weird bus tour for $35 an hour, but like 18, no, yeah. thank you. I'll make more waiting tables. Like that was sort of, it was like, that was going to get out of me waiting tables. And then when I could make more waiting tables, I was like, oh, this is not worth it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but I was, I remember for me, I had left a job. I worked at a, at a university in New York city and I wound up just being like, I got to get out of here. I worked there for four years. I was like, our values are not aligned. And so I applied yeah. to a whole bunch of other jobs, didn't get any. And so the ride was how I paid rent in New York city. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would freestyle rap for, uh, for three minutes at a time, uh, like literally to a moving tour bus, get paid $25 an hour and sit in Bryan park and talk to Patrick yeah. Lovejoy, um, while I was oh, yeah. waiting for the next bus to come yeah. around. Right. And yeah. super, super random, but, uh, I'm also very grateful for that random ass bus. And, yeah. uh, but the thing is, is that you had to make ends meet. 
right? You had to figure it out while you were chasing what you were chasing. And then you get this badass opportunity. Um, and, and you're on there with other icons, right? Our other New York city friend, Ellie Kemper. Um, and, and, and so like these other incredible folks, the cast is outrageous. And I'm wondering, you have an amazing time while you're doing the show. And then Mm -hmm. the show runs its course Mm -hmm. for whatever reasons it ends. And then, and then, what is that feeling like right after? What is the feeling like, oh shit, I was doing something amazing and now what? Do you ride the high for a while or does uh, seven-year-old Lauren get back on the phone and be like, I got to audition, I got to audition. Like what, like what, what was that experience like for you? I wish I ever rode the high. I think I rode the high the night I booked the show and then was instantly like, oh, fuck, what happens now? <laughs> and that's when I started therapy because I was like, you know, you chase the thing so hard. Yeah. And then I got the thing and I didn't feel like my life changed because the thing is never the thing. This is the thing, right? Yeah. And so I was putting so much of my self-worth in booking the thing that I was like, once you book it, you're going to you're going to not be sad. You're going to feel great. You're not going to be worried about anything. You'll stop fixing stuff like life will be made. And then I booked the thing and it was like, Oh no, your life is still exactly the same. You just booked a really fancy thing. So I (laughs) wish I rode the high at all. And I wish somebody had told me like, when you book your dream job, you're going to be depressed because the dream job is not going to solve all your freaking problems. It won't solve any of them except the rent paying problem. It solves sure. that one, right? <laughs> Which is big. So I, I, it is big. It That makes you feel lighter. But I wish I rode the high at all. I didn't because I was too worried about everything. Okay. I was too worried. I was worried yeah. about doing a bad job. I was worried about... Um, people not liking the show. I was worried about being bad on the show. I was worried about not being liked by my coworkers. I was worried about what was going to happen after. I was worried about what next. Cause I was like, Oh, I'll book this. And then I'll just be a TV star, which is not the case. Like I'm still not <laughs> like people still, I'm still like grinding and auditioning and like people like I'm losing parts to people who are like, you know, more famous than me or the studios already worked with or whatever, you know, like I'm still not like just getting offers. I'm still grinding a little bit, which I love the grind. I like doing my work, but it's like it, it, I wish I rode the ha high at all. And I just never did. (laughs) Sadly. (laughs) I think I had one fun night out of McManus where I felt the high and then it was instantly like, Oh no. Shout out to McManus. Uh, I bet the same thing happened when you made a UCB house team, right? Yeah. Because there's a lot, there's a lot. I mean, that's one thing I've, uh, all those individuals who made UCB house teams are always talking about that where like, it's amazing when you get that phone call, but then it's like, oh shit, I got to get to work. Um, Yeah. And it's also not, you think like, okay, I have it made now. And it's like, no, you still have to be good. You still have to like do good shows. You still have to write good sketches. You still have to show up and practice. You still have to like all this stuff. You still have to, your work's not done. So I don't think it ever is. I think that Mm -hmm. was a big lesson for the Kimmy Schmidt thing was like, oh, I booked like this dream job and it's, I'm not done. I'm not even close to done. I'll never be done. So knowing that, the thing that you were chasing mm-hmm. wasn't it. Not that it was. Yeah. Not, I'm not saying that you're not grateful for what you had. I'm not saying that it wasn't. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't a goal, and that you uh, whatnot. But like you said, like it wasn't the thing. The thing is in here. Yeah. Um, that's way easier said than done to make that switch. And so, like you're still out here grinding. Um, have you? How has, how has, I guess, the role that sacrifice plays in your life changed since you've learned that? 
Like, do you still sacrifice? Like, is sacrifice still a huge thing where I'm going to put it all on a line and I'm going to dr- drive myself nuts and 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 ebb and flow in and out of depression and anxiety? I'm in a, a thruple with them, um, or like, you know, how how has it been, or have you been able to kind of find a piece to the rhythm of what's happening now? I think both. I think I I think I successfully sometimes get in the piece of that rhythm, and then sometimes I am like in that bad thruple with anxiety and depression and like, you know, because in this business, you're always kind of chasing a breadcrumb, right? Like um, no one ever is going to go like, you should keep doing this. You're definitely going to be a very successful TV actor one day. So just keep going. No one says that. And you go like, Oh, okay. I trust that voice. And I'm just going to go towards that. You get like little breadcrumbs here and there. So like you like, do well in your first improv class. And then, you know, you make a house team and then you book a commercial and then you get an agent and then you get a better agent. And then you book a little under five, like you have little breadcrumbs and sometimes they're really clear. And it's like, you booked a job and that's a clear bed breadcrumb where it's like, you're going the right way, Lauren, keep going. And those ones are really easy to celebrate. And sometimes it's like, you didn't book this job, but you got really far in the process and it's a really big job for you and you didn't book it, but you should know that that's even though it feels like a kind of a shitty, soggy little breadcrumb, it's still a good little breadcrumb for you. You still have Mm -hmm. to pick it up, right? Even though it isn't a full win, you still have to go like, okay, it's not a full win, but it's still telling me this path is the right path. So like sometimes you have to like really talk to yourself about like where you are. Cause if you just look at success versus failure, it's a lot of failure (laughs) and it's very depressing. But if I look at where I am compared to where I was, I can see that I'm still going the right way. Yeah. That makes sense. It's got to feel kind of cool to say. Yeah. It's uh, easier to say than feel, but I'm getting there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm going to make you sit in it for a second because you just said it and I want you to feel it um, because it's beautiful, right? And that, but that's so hard. You know, I, I've talked a bunch on this, uh, on this podcast about, uh, about how I chase legacy. Um, and I, I frequently have this internal battle inside of me, these two warriors inside of me. One is, one is legacy and the other one is presence um, yeah. and like wanting to be here in the moment and not missing the moment but at the same time wanting to be building something, growing mm-hmm. towards something. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's cool to hear you talk a little bit le- about that for you. And I think that's, uh, that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. What does, so at this point, as you've done some of this internal work, uh, yeah. what has the dream changed and how would you, what would you name the dream right now? What would I name the dream right now? I would name the dream right now. Like what is like a dream job or just like, yeah, what's the goal? What are you, what are you working towards? I want to just like have a regular thing. And I feel like, um, whatever that is, like, I like playing weirdos. I like playing creeps. I like playing not like people who are, I love weird people. I think I'm weird. Um, (laughs) I think it's fun to like, you know, I don't, I, I think I learned that like in musicals, it's like the pretty lead is pretty, but she's not fun. Yeah. I want to play like I loved Gretchen because she was fun. She was weird and cool and dark and fun. And I loved it. Yeah, I love it. I loved it. Your your alphabet every time, never Glinda. 
Yeah, yeah. I want to be the weirdo. You know, I yeah. do. It's like fun to play the weird person. We did you nailed it. it. You nailed it, We've my been friend. Really in sync all day. It's a, it's our Enneagram Seven. Oh, hey, let's get it. <laughs> I love it. I appreciate you, Lauren. Thank I you so really much for being here. Donate to the LA Food Bank, my friends. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, for sure. We will catch up again soon, Lauren. Thank you for being here. Thank you, James. Hell yeah. My friends, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James with Lauren Adams, actress, activist, and just badass human being. I uh, cannot thank her enough for, for joining. And thank you for joining us. My friends, we're trying to grow this thing. If there's any chance that you might be able to write a review on uh, on, on iTunes or, or somewhere else, that would be really special, y'all. We're trying to make this thing pop in. And the goal is eventually to try to get it to a place where I can pitch it to a TV producer because I think it would be really special to shoot this live with a few cameras. Um, and so thank you so much for tuning in, y'all. My name is James Robolata. And until next time, y'all, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. You all take care. Be well. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. <laughs> <laughs> if you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now. You're going to make me blush. <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.